Father, Lord God, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for the people in this room. I thank you that it can be well with my soul. Lord, I want to lift up Pastor Bill as he travels. I want to lift up uh, the elders that are coming forward here soon, Lord. And I just pray a blessing upon them and their family. I just ask that we would be able to honor you with, uh, with these men. Lord, uh, you're, you are enough. And you are great and you are grand and you are larger than we can ever fathom. And let us understand that during this message and let your words speak loudly. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we get started, I just want to tell you how excited I am to bring on three new men. We're going to have a vote here pretty soon in December. And it's just exciting to see three men that love Jesus to come and be part of the leadership in this church. Uh, The three men will be... uh, Dean Smiley, Mark Campbell, and Mike Wortham. So if you guys would uh, take some time to, to pay attention to those guys and, and see who they are and, and, and just uh, you know, have some time to talk with them, that would be great. So we've been in the book of Genesis, and this is week two. And Francis Schaeffer wrote a book called Genesis in Space and Time. And in this book, he makes this statement about how we should evaluate Genesis 1 and 2. He says this, what is the least that we can be certain about, clear about for the rest of the Bible to be coherent and true? Now you may say, Pastor Zach, I mean, aren't we supposed to be making God bigger? I mean, doesn't this just simplify things? And in a way, yes. But I'm telling you, when we recognize God is infinitely greater than us, how much bigger can our God get? I mean, He is so infinite. We should see him every day bigger and bigger. And when we finally surrender to some of the mysteries in this Bible, I feel that it frees us up to really make a difference in this world. And the more that I studied Scripture, the more that I was convinced that there is a mystery in this text. A mystery that God may never reveal to us until we are in his presence someday. And great minds throughout history have spent countless hours trying to figure out what this text means. Now I am hardly a great... Look at this text and I want to find something new. Something that intrigues you. Something that, to be quite honest with you, makes me sound smart. Man, I'm guilty, right? But if I'm looking to find myself as smart, then that draws away from God. And I should never do that as a pastor. You see, people have looked at this text. They've tried to discover the exact time that Genesis 1 and 2 took place. They've tried to make this Trinitarian doctrine after the first two chapters of the Bible. I mean, they want so desperately to see Jesus in Genesis. And He is there. I understand it. But it's not about us. It's about God. Is it not enough to just be amazed that Jesus created everything? Is it not enough to just be mesmerized by the greatness of our God? You see, it should be enough to just be an absolute of our God. And God, He gives us only what He wants us to know. We could spend hours trying to figure it out, but if these hours do not have an end goal, an end goal to give God glory and to bring people to Jesus Christ, then I think it's pointless. So I want us to focus on what God is telling us, not what He's not. And what God is telling us is that He is infinite. He is self-existing. He is without origin. Our God is self-sufficient. He has no need. He does not need you. He does not need I. But He does want us. And how much greater is that? 
Our God is the creator. He is not the created. Our God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Our God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He's infinitely, unchangeably kind and full of goodwill. And our God is just. He is infinitely right in every decision that He makes. Our God is merciful. He is infinitely and unchangeably compassionate and kind. Our God is gracious. He is infinitely inclined to spare the guilty. And our God is loving. And that love for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit overflows to every one of us. And lastly, our God is glorious. He is infinitely beautiful and great. So let's start with the first one. God is infinite. I mean, why is this so important? If we're going to understand the world, if we're going to understand this Bible, because our God, He existed outside of time. He is not reliant on any of it. And if we're going to really make sense of the Bible, this world that we live in, we must understand that there is something that is infinite. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I have this buddy, his name is Cody Reed, and he's been in jail for about the last six months. And while he's in jail, I've told you about this guy, he's studying scripture, he actually wants to become a pastor, and I'm super impressed at how the Holy Spirit works with him as he starts to read scripture. And he said something to me the other day that really made me think. He said, we should start in Revelation. And I thought about it, and it makes a little bit of sense to me. I mean, if we realize our judgment, if we realize that there is, is death, if we don't turn to Jesus Christ, if we realize that we have this dependency on God, I think these are all good things, but let's just stop. Pretend that we're getting on an airplane. And you're sitting against some uh, person that is unsuspecting. It's a great place to talk about Jesus. That and uh, sitting on a ski lift, they have nowhere else to go. And think about this. You start this way. You say, so, I believe that Jesus will return someday and He will bring judgment on earth. All those who have trusted in Him will be in heaven and everybody else will burn in hell. And they look at you like you have grown horns. And then you realize what you just said. You didn't give Him any context. Oh yeah, but, but Jesus, He rose from the dead and He was crucified on the cross for every sin that you've ever committed. And they're staring at you going, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then you say, yeah, but, but people, he did these miracles with either his words. One of these times he, he actually spit on mud and put it on their eyes. And then there was this other time that he touched them. And then sometimes he would pray with them or speak to them. And one time he divided fish and bread. And then they finally speak. I am not letting anybody spit on mud and put it on my eyes. And how is dividing fish and bread a miracle? And then you think like, Good point, right? He, he actually took the five loaves of bread and two fish and he fed like 5,000 men, which is probably like 15,000 because of how they counted women and children back then. And they're going, huh? What are you talking about? And you're like, yeah, I, I, I get it. But, but if you would just understand it, if you get the story, right? I mean, he did these miracles. He actually fed 5,000 people with these Jesus, the bread of life. Right, He's the bread of life. And then we do this communion thing where we start to divvy out this bread and this wine. But, if, but we're Baptists, so we don't actually do wine. We do uh, Welch's grape juice. And you're getting lost. And this guy is so confused. He has no idea where you're going. And you're like, yeah, but, but he's not just the bread of life. He's the, 
the living water. And he's more confused. And he's not just the bread of life and the living water. No, he's more than that. He's the light of this world. And he's going, what are you beginning with? What are you telling me? And then you go, oh yeah, but you're not getting this because he's special. He was born a virgin. And this guy's like, have you lost your mind? And this is just explaining the New Testament. Man, I haven't even got to the Old Testament. I didn't talk about Jonah being swallowed fire from heaven. I didn't talk about people being raised from the dead. I didn't talk about God stopping time. I didn't talk about a talking donkey or 100-year-old Abraham having a son or a talking serpent. I mean, do you think this person is coming to a saving grace without the work of the Holy Spirit? Guys, nobody, I don't care how good you are at sharing the gospel, it takes some serious supernatural persuasion to sell this story. And every one of you right now is saying, Pastor, isn't your job to strengthen our faith and not diminish it? Yeah, you're right, stay with me. You see, if I start with the beginning... You see, what if I define God by answering some of the questions that people ponder their whole life? Like, where did I come from? What happens to me when I die? Where, why is there something rather than nothing? What came first, the chicken or the egg? D.L. Moody once said, I do not know anything more difficult to believe than the very first verse in the Bible. But I have to tell you, I think he was talking about humanity. Because the more that I study this Bible, the more I understand about creation, the more this becomes the very foundation of my life and every one of my beliefs. I'm telling you that nothing else makes sense. It is what makes Christianity so different. Every other religion that you know, they started with something and then it was created from that. But not Christianity. Our God created from nothing. And He made something with the very words of His mouth with a dense fireball. Do we really understand how important this is? I mean, science can study everything. It can discover the very DNA that makes up each and every one of us. A side note, if you have some time after the service, I want you to Google laminin. L-A-M-I-N-I-N. And after you look at it, I challenge you to tell me that the cross is not the very building block of life. You see, science, they can try and carbon date to figure out the age of everything. It can try and discover the reason that everything in this world works the way it does, but it can never describe why there is a beginning to this world. It cannot tell me why I'm here. It cannot tell me what happens to me when I die. It cannot tell me why I think, why I search for answers, why I love, why I mourn, why I care so desperately. This week I was having lunch with Bob York and he said, what came first, the chicken or the egg? And science cannot even answer that question. But our Bible, it gives us a definite answer. The chicken. And maybe I'm just dumb. Or maybe I just need something more than what science can actually tell me. I once had somebody tell me that they don't need any of this religion. They don't need a crutch. And I looked at him and said, you're right. I don't need this religion. I don't need a crutch. I need a stretcher because without God, I am nothing. I am going nowhere. Guys, I even Googled when was the universe created. And this is what it said right here. The Big Bang was the moment 13.8 billion years ago when the universe began as a tiny, dense fireball that exploded. Most astronomers use the Big Bang... Th- But listen to this. 
But what caused this explosion in the first place is still a mystery. Listen to that. I mean, there are a lot of men that are more intelligent than me. But you can be really intelligent and not very smart. First of all, where did this tiny, dense fireball come from? How tiny was it? How dense was it to make a universe that is 93 billion light years wide? Science cannot tell us, and it will never be able to. It will never be able to tell us how something came from nothing unless we start allowing a Creator. And real science uses the information that we get and takes it where it takes us. And I'm telling you, you have to have a lot more. Our Bible. Our Bible tells us exactly what happens. Now, it doesn't give us the exact time and date. But from the Bible, we can know that our God is infinite. And we can know that it is our God who created time, not us. Genesis 1.1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the heavens here is just relating to the universe. It's not God's heavenly abode. That already existed. Genesis 1 wants us to know that our God exists outside of this universe. He is not dependent on this universe. He is not dependent on anything. Which leads us to God who is self-sufficient. Our God, He has no needs. God is the Creator, not the created. Our God, He spoke in the very universe was put in motion. And my goal by so-called archaic individuals gives us the answer to these very questions and it will never be proven wrong. Because it is the truth that this world, all the truth that has been established through it. You see, these archaic individuals, they did not have a telescope or a microscope. They had the Holy Spirit scope. Moses was directed by the Holy Spirit to write down the only feasible solution to why we even exist. Nothing else even remotely satisfies my mind, and I hope yours. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. Our God is outside of the universe. He starts to unfold His creative reasoning and we discover exactly who he is verse 2 is is telling us that the the earth what it looked like before god started this transformation process everything is there the building blocks of life water and, and and spirit and then he gives the universe one of the greatest beauties and blessing that we ever know light if matter is like the clay and water and light are like the tools that God used that He shaped and molded His creation. Jesus begins to mold and shape the very world that we know He will have to redeem. Man, I cannot grasp the power nor understand God's power. Our God is omnipotent. Do you understand that God is all-powerful? created a universe that has been expanding since it was created. Psalm 33, 6 says this, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their hosts. Our universe, according to scientists, is 93 billion light-years wide. According to their measurement of a light-year. A light-year is around 5.88 trillion miles. And if that doesn't blow you away, think about this. 
If you took our current technology in a space shuttle traveling five miles per second, it would take you 37,200 human years to travel one light year. And God created it with his words. Let there be. And you fill in the bank, blank. Let there be light. Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let the life in the water and the sky. Let there be life on the ground. Let there be mankind in our image. I mean, this is our God. I can't make my kids clean their room and he could speak and the entire universe comes into existence. And our universe does not even touch his creative power. I mean, he could create an infinite amount of universes and he would not use up one iota of his power. My goal today is to make you understand that our God is so big that we could never even begin to fathom how big he is. And if you can believe that, then Elijah calling down fire from heaven is no big deal. If you can believe that, then Jonah riding in a natural submarine is no big deal. He knew that everything about it, our God is omniscient. This account in Genesis speaks to God being all-knowing, and science with it has proven it over and over again. Genesis 1 and science, they go together. I mean, this is what our God did. This is what our God does. Our God is so all-knowing that our Earth's axis is 23.5 degrees. It gives us seasons. And if there was no tilt, the equator would burn up and it would be an arid desert. However, because we have this tilt, this 23.5 degree tilt, we have seasons and the whole world is benefited from it. And if our earth, if we move 2% closer to the sun, we would fry. If we move 2% further away, we would freeze. And our earth, it moves at approximately, which is 18.5 miles per second. And NASA tells us that's the exact speed that we need to move at. And NASA also tells us that we're in the exact place in the universe to sustain life. Even our 24-hour day is just enough break from the sun to cool us down and not enough to make us freeze. The 28-day rotation of the moon allows for this gravitational pull of our tides. I mean, even Jupiter, with its mass million times greater than us, pulls in meteors that would most definitely hit us and saves us from destruction. Man, our God knew everything when he created this earth. If that does not tell you that our God directs every molecule, then I do not know what does. You see, because our God, He is everywhere. He is omnipresent. We see this in verse 2 as God is light and it enters our universe. What do we need to see? What do we need to see? And it is light. Genesis 1-3, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. All the light in the universe, but there is one light, and that is the light. John tells us that God is light. 1 John 1.5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Guys, there are one billion trillion stars in the universe. And the largest known star in the universe is Uy Skatai. It is 1,700 times greater than our sun. To put that in perspective, we could fit 1.3 million Earths inside of our sun. It was the size of a golf ball. Then Uy Skatai would be five miles wide. 
approximately the width of our town. Our sun would only be 15 feet. Think about how many golf balls you would need to cover our entire town. And our God is greater than that. And our God, He spoke all of that into existence and He is present in all of it. And all of the light that God creates, and none of it, not one of it, not all of it compared, even compares to the light of Jesus Christ, the glory that He radiates. Let's go a little further. Let's go a little more personal. I mean, as big as you. And when you read this text, you should find that out. You see, our God is so good. Verse 4, And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And then we move on. He separates the sky, the water, and the land. And He says it's good. Verse 10. He creates vegetation. He saw that it was good. Verse 12. He speaks light like a paintbrush as He puts the sun and the moon and gives the warmth and the light and the control over the oceans with His gravitational pull. And he says it was good, verse 18. And then he creates all the creatures in the ocean. He creates the creatures in the air. And he says good and good. And then he creates animals on the ground. And it was good. And then he makes man in our image. The image of God that he has created. And he looks at his creation and he says this, verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. It was very good. Now I'm not sure how you get better than good when good is God's good. I mean, we tend to think of good about in our terms, right? My dog doesn't bark as much as the neighbor's. I don't have vanity license plates or something like that. Or maybe I don't pick my nose. That's our type of good. But our God's good is perfection. And He looks at us and says... Very good. Think about everything in your life. Outside of Jesus Christ. Think about the moment that God handed you your newborn baby. You could just see God's goodness. Now you knew that everything in life was going to get exponentially more difficult. But there is not a time in your life that you thought twice about how much you loved that little boy or girl. And God sees us as his children. We are sons and daughters, heirs with Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 17. And if it's children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. And when all this is done, God looks out and he rests. I saw a joke the other day. There are two very practical and human answers to the creation of man and woman. The woman's view of creation is like this. God made the man and looked. And he made the woman. Now man's view. God made the beasts and the man and then he rested. And then he created woman and neither beast nor man nor God has rested since. All joking aside. We often look at this text and we struggle. Why would an all-powerful God need to rest? But let's read the text carefully. Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. 
So God blessed the seventh day and He made it holy because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. This text says that He rested. It does not say that He needed to rest. Hebrew is Shabbat. It does not mean like we think it does that we are tired. It means that it is done. That we stopped. God saw what He made and He was done for a time. Not very long. We all know that. But... He was done. And he stopped. And, and what we got from that is we see that we need to rest. We need to take time to look at our God and just be in awe of our God. Take time to rest from the things that he has given. And no doubt, he has given us purpose. He has given us work. He has given us things to do. But we need to take time and recognize that we do none of that without our Creator. Every one of us is guilty. But think about how great a God is that loves you enough to give you rest. And not only that, our God, He loved you enough. You see, Genesis 1, it uses this word Elohim to describe God, which describes God's vastness and His power and His greatness. But in Genesis 2-4, we see this personal name, Yahweh, Elohim. Genesis 2-4, these are the generations of the heaven and earth when they were created. In that day, the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Generations, humanity, God created the entire world in chapter 1. He goes into intricate detail about mankind in chapter 2. You see, God can love all of his creation, but he loves you intimately. There is no doubt about that. Now, I don't want you guys to get a big head because we haven't gotten to chapter 3 yet. You see, after chapter 3, we are no longer Skittles and Rainbow. What is beautiful about it is that does not change God's love for you. It does not change His plan, His perfect plan that even included sin coming into this world in the redemptive part of Jesus' work on the cross. God knew it perfectly. And He is perfectly just. And He knew that us sinners, we had no chance. And in His goodness... God's goodness. He knew exactly what He was doing. He gives us two trees, and we are so dumb. No offense. We have the tree of life sitting here. We have all these trees that we can savor in. And then we have the tree of knowledge of good and evil over here. And I think we often forget that if we'd have just looked at this tree, if we'd have just focused on the tree of life, then God would have given us all the wisdom and knowledge that we would have ever would all been in Him. You see, he only gave us two commandments in these two verses, and the first one was pretty easy. We have 7.8 billion people on this earth. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. But that second one, man. The Lord God commanded man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And that was not enough to keep us from eating of that tree. You see, every one of us, at one point in our life, chooses the ways of the world. When the tree of life is just sitting there right in front of us. And our God, He created us, but He did not make us love Him. I hate rebellion, but our God even directs that. You see, without rebellion, there would not be a need for a Redeemer. And we must never forget that Jesus is the real reason for all of this. Hebrews 1.3 He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. 
And he upholds the universe by the words of his power. Did you get that? He upholds the universe by the words of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And from that moment, our God has always been justice. And we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on on this just. Pastor Bill is going to tackle that next week as he looks at Genesis 3. Around sinner, not one simple sin. I always tell the kids, I stole six grapes when I was like eight years old, and I thank my parents every day that they treated it like it was a major deal. Because even those six grapes separate me from God. But in that, God provided the solution. He provided Jesus Christ. And in that, our Savior has been glorified. And because of that, our God can fully fulfill one of His greatest attributes. Our God is merciful and our God is gracious. Now our God is perfectly all of these things. But how can He show His mercy without something to show mercy to Now, our God does not need us, but he wanted to show his infinite grace. And the triune God is glorified through the redemptive work of his son on the cross. D.L. Moody says it like this, to create, God only had to speak, but to redeem, he had to suffer. He made man by his breath and he saved him by his blood. You see, perfect mercy and grace are not displayed without death. John 15, 13, Creator, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You see, as I finish this message, I cannot finish this without talking about his infinite love. We see it in Genesis 1, 2. The universe was, was nothing without God. There was just darkness, just the absence of light. And then we see evil, and evil is just the absence of good. In order to choose God, there had to be something else to choose besides good. And when we choose good, life is everything, and death is absolutely nothing. God is everything, and everything else is absolutely nothing, and yet we make the the nothing decision so many times. Our God, He loved us enough to not just create the earth, but to create this entire universe. He loved us enough to give us choice because what what is one of the greatest things that we have in this world? A choice to love something. Man, how often do we just thank God that we have the choice to love our spouse? What a beautiful choice. That I have the choice to love my God. And I love Him. I love Him dearly. God wanted us so desperately. So desperately that He created everything that we see as our eyes look out at the heavens, star after star after star after star that He created so that we could see His beauty. All of this light leads to one thing, and that is Jesus Christ. As we fix our eyes on Him, it really is the perfect solution. And we should expect nothing less from our God. I mean, there was absolutely nothing in God. He spoke. As His love for the Trinity pours out, floods it, 
And we see our God and we see Jesus in all of it. And it points directly to our Savior. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, let, sh- let, let shine, let, oh man, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The foundations of the gospel in Genesis does not even begin unless we start to focus on Jesus. You see, Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light. And what's beautiful is he created, he created the beginning and there will be an end to these, new, these heavens and these earth, the old ones. Isaiah 46.10, declare the end from the beginning and from ancient ten and I'll accomplish all my purpose. Revelation 21.1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. The new heaven and the new earth will replace the old heaven and the old earth. And the Bible tells us that there will no longer be a tree of knowledge of good and evil. There will just be a tree of life because we have made our choice and we chose Jesus. Revelation 21, 1-5. through Then the angel showed me the river of the water, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the streets. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, which is twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed by the throne of God, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will worship Him. There will be no more. There will be no need for light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. You see, our God is glorious. And I get it. Creation displays His gloriousness, but there is nothing like Jesus Christ. There is nothing compared to Him. And Francis Schaeffer, he asked us a question at the beginning of this message. He says, what is the least that we must be certain about? What is the least that we must be clear about for the rest of the Bible to be coherent and true? You can see the water of light, life as clear as crystal. You can see the tree of life as magnificent and there will be no curse. This universe, the new universe that is created, could be 10 million times greater than the universe that we see right now and it will be like nothing. Like nothing. All of our focus will be on the Creator. And we will need not light. We will need not lamp. We will need not sun or ocean or land or anything for Jesus. Jesus is the completion of all of this. And if our focus is on something else, then we will lose Jesus in the process. He is everything. You see, our Bible, it may leave an interpretation on creation, but it does not leave any doubt who is the Creator. And that is what must be clear. And that is what must be certain. If we're going to understand this world, and if we're going to understand this Bible, let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the stars. I thank you for other animals. I thank you for birds in the air and creatures in the ocean. I thank you that you have an end to this world, to this suffering. I thank you that you are all-powerful, that you are all-knowing, that you are all-everything. But most of all, I thank you for Jesus.
And I pray that we will never lose sight of the fact that there is nothing greater. And we must fix our eyes on him. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.